another episode of the Nuclear Medicine Molecular Medicine Podcast and I'm talking to um, Dr. Ruddy and uh, perhaps Dr. Ruddy can explain about where he works and, uh, and, and a bit about his background. Very good. I'm a clinician investigator at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute. My interest is nuclear cardiology and cardiac PET. That's my clinical activity and also my research activity. Now you gave us a talk um, which looked at some of the new traces that were, were being developed for cardiac imaging. Um, perhaps you could explain a little bit about the limitations of current traces and talk about some of these new traces and sure. how they... I'd be glad to. So currently we have radial tracers that have poor extraction fraction and poor retention. That means when we inject the tracers, the tracers go to heart muscle, but they're not taken up proportionally to blood flow as they should be. So we have less than appropriate radioactivity in the heart muscle. So that means that when we look at images, we're looking for diseased areas versus normal areas, we underestimate the disease. So that means we miss disease and we, in a patient with disease that we diagnose correctly, we undercall the extent of disease. So we need new radial tracers that have better uptake characteristics. So when you have a normal area, a normal area should take up a lot of radial tracer, and the abnormal area should take up significantly less activity than the normal area. So our present tracers can't do that because the present tracers are not taken up adequately in the normal area. So your comparison between the normal area is underestimated, you have less near normal, appropriate in your diseased area. So our, our new tracers uh, have greater uptake in the normal areas. An example of that is F18 fluoroperidase. This is a, a radio tracer that has been evaluated for about eight, nine years now. It's in phase three studies, and it's been recently shown by uh, Dr. Gary Heller of the American Heart Association to have better diagnostic accuracy in women, which is very good, with less radiation, which is also very important. It's an F18 labeled compound, so it has better resolution than rubidium or other PET compounds. It also is more, uh, it may be more easily delivered. Right now, if you do rubidium studies, you have to do many studies because you're using a generator. And the generator has to be on site. If you're using ammonia, that's a good tracer. The problem with ammonia is made by a psychotron, so you need to have a psychotron on site. So many centers don't have the money for a rubidium generator or a psychotron on hand. So another approach would be unit dosing. We now do unit dosing for FDG and it works out very well. The cost is reasonable. You simply order the tracer and it comes when you want it. So you could do like five studies a day, you could do five studies a month, you could do whatever the business is that's appropriate. You could combine it with oncology studies. So you could have a pet camera doing oncology and one day a week do your, your perfusion tracers. The study would be uh, done with the best tracer of Assuming this is approved, this is F18 fluoroperidose, when it's approved, it will be the best clinical radio tracer with the best images. It should have the best sensitivity for disease. We're moving into a landscape where there's all sorts of tests you can do. You can do stress echo, you can do stress spec, you can do CTA. They all diagnose the disease, but they all have limitations in their accuracy. F18 fluoroperidose will be the most sensitive tracer. And with PET, it should be more or less the court of last appeal. It would be the, the final judge in deciding how much disease you have and, and that way lead to better decision making. If you know how much disease a patient has, you can either do nothing, push medical therapy, or you can intervene. You can intervene perhaps just with PCI or you can intervene with surgery. So you know the extent of disease should be more possible with the new radio tracers. You'll make better clinical decisions and patient care should be better. And that's what we're all about. The right. bottom line is better patient care. And, and 
we've shown with functional imaging that gives a better prognostic indication generally than anatomical imaging. And this is going to be better functional imaging. So well, we're going to exactly. Have so we went on functional, better functional. It could be logistically easier to do functional. Right. That's very important. And we don't want a system where you have to do, say, 50 patients a week to break even on the lab. You have to have a, a compound that is, that is accessible and has reasonable cost. We're moving into cost containment now, not an increase in money available for healthcare. Right. So we're going to need tracers that are, are available, are reasonably priced, but also are very good. So they're worth the money right. so that they become the last test. So you have one of these flaparative studies, it would be the definitive test, and then you can make your decision, angiogram or not, as opposed to sometimes, like we do in my view, stress my view spec study, we aren't sure, we go on to do a PET, yeah. we do a CTA. So you do several tests. So you're And that gets expensive. Exactly. That's called downstream utilization. So if you have a definitive test, your downstream utilization should be less. Right. And it's also because it's paired, it's going to have better attenuation corrections. So that's going yeah. to get rid of a lot of the problems. And also it's going to link up when you want to do other st studies that combine, like for example today we had talks about, about a cardiac innovation. If you combine innovation with perfusion, then you might give a better indication of sudden cardiac death as well. No, exactly. You could do that very readily with this tracer. This tracer would be an excellent perfusion tracer to combine with, uh, say, an F18 labeled uh, tracer that uh, tells you about innovation. You could compare the distributions much more accurately. Right, that's going to be a great uh, outcome if we can get that to come soon. Any idea of when that's going to happen? Well, phase three studies are complete coming out. Um, the normal course would be one or two years. Um, it's hard to know. It's also the time when there's not much money for industry to spend on development too, which no. means that less money means a prolonged time before things actually gotcha. get out. So I would think uh, a few years would be a safe bet. Right. But I guess it's it's up to people in the nuclear medicine field to explain the cost advantages of doing this oh, yeah. by, 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 by more cost-effective management. Management's always more expensive than any diagnostic test. Correct. I think that's very true, and we do do that. But then administrators have to appreciate that. And, and we still have to finish the Phase 3 studies, have them published, have the FDA approval. There's lots of regulatory aspects to any new test. Okay. Oh, well, that's very exciting, and it's great to see something new at last in terms of in terms of cardiac uh, uh, cardiac work, and, and particularly now with the increased availability of PET scanners. This this is going to be uh, this is going to be something that, that could really be applied very widely. Exactly, it's a great time to be in nuclear cardiology and cardiac PET. Excellent. Thank you very much. Very Appreciate welcome. the time you're taking for the podcast. Glad to. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that was good. Yeah. You interview well.